welcome back to Woodhouse Grove STEM podcast. Today, uh, we're on the topic of mild combustion and we're joined with a special guest, Professor Sumitathan. Um, mild combustion, uh, as far as I'm aware, is a combustion technique by both an elevated temperature of reactants and an adiabatic flame. Um, yeah, that's all I, all I know. Alex, can you? So all I know about, all I know about combustion is there's two different types. There's complete and incomplete. And complete, you always have the full product, everything being burned completely, always producing water and carbon dioxide. But if it goes, if it burns incompletely, then there's toxic carbon monoxide formed. Sometimes water vapor as well, if it does get too hot, which can be harmful to the environment. And there can also be other dangerous products like unburned hydrocarbons and all this sort of stuff. But that's all I really know as well. So um, to avoid some of that, mild combustion helps to reduce the uh, um, pollutants that is produced as well, being more efficient than the usual combustion that we know about. So can you elaborate a bit more about that um, for us, Professor? That's great. I think what uh, I heard just in the last 30 seconds or so, you guys have read what combustion is all about. So kudos to you guys. Very good. <laughs> Thank you. So. So as, as one of you guys said, when you burn hydrocarbon, you are going to produce carbon dioxide and also water vapor, right? Carbon dioxide and water vapor both entraps uh, the sun's radiation, like a it creates a glass house effect, which creates the problem, uh, uh, the global warming problem that we are all dealing with now, that we are all aware of now. So how to overcome this? There are two ways to overcome this problem. One is either you completely stop burning fossil fuels, which is, which is not a practical solution, because once we stop burning any fossil fuels, then we may not be able to do even this Zoom meeting, because we need power. Yeah. Right? So another way to look at this problem is how can we improve the efficiency of the machines that are producing the electrical power that we are using, or the electrical energy that we are using? So if you try to find an answer to the second question, how we can improve the efficiency of these various machines and systems that we use to generate electrical power, then the mild combustion comes into picture. So in doing mild combustion, what we do is we burn it the right amount of fuel, very small amount of fuel, what we need to burn to produce the amount of energy that we need. And that also we burn it in a diluted uh, air. Okay. What I mean by diluted air is you've got a lot of carbon dioxide and water vapor. That's the burned product. So you simply recirculate the burned product into the combustor, and then you inject fuel into that hot mixture. Then it, it releases heat. Then you use that uh, heat to generate the electrical power by driving some other mechanical machines like a gas turbine or a reciprocating engine, anything you, you would like to do. So why we want to do this way is because when you burn any fossil fuels, you have got hot exhaust coming out. So there's a lot of thermal energy in that. So if you are not using the thermal energy, then it goes to waste. It's simply uh, exited into the atmosphere and then it's, it's lost to the atmosphere, which is useless. So if you consider all of these energy losses, the typical efficiency that people operate is about only 30%. So that means only 30% of the energy that we spend are becoming useful to us. So 70% of the energy becomes wasted. So one way to improve that efficiency is to recirculate these hot gases so you can recover some of the heat and then reuse it. 
thereby you improve the efficiency. By doing that, you also reduce the amount of fuel that you burn. Okay, that's one one way to do. Okay. And the second advantage is to reduce the amount of uh, emissions that comes from these. So when you burn it at the right temperature, the amount of pollutants coming out of these combustion are reduced dramatically to a sub PPM level. So what I mean by sub PPM is very uh, parts per million level, probably one PPM level. Typically engines emit something like 300 or 400 PPM. So you are re reducing from 300 or 400 ppm to one ppm. That's a very substantial reduction of pollutants. Yeah, oh, that's great. Um, does anyone have any questions about what you just said? Um, how come? How come this isn't like a? How come this is the first we've heard of it? Because I know a lot of us um, haven't heard of this before. It sounds, by the way you're describing it, like it's the best way forward in terms of producing energy. So, why are we not using this more? Like, globally? yeah, that's. Yeah, that's right. There are practical challenges in achieving it. Oh, okay. okay. So the uh, how do we how do we build equipments that can recirculate these gases automatically? Okay. Is yeah. is a challenge. It's a big it's a big engineering challenge. Okay. Oh, and yeah. this the idea of this came about only in 1980s, which oh, was in, yeah. Very, very recent, only 1980s, which was invented by one of the Japanese uh, uh, professor in Japan. And since then, people were trying to use it for many practical applications, but there are a lot of, lot of practical challenges in making it happen. On the paper, it looks great, but when we try to implement it, then it becomes a very big problem. But smart engineers have overcome those challenges, those problems. So many of these concepts have already been implemented in some of the gas turbine engines like uh, Alstom engines. Have you heard of Alstom? Which is a Swedish company. Yeah, I think I've uh, heard of them. Oh. Yeah, perhaps you may, heard, you may have heard of them in terms of uh, um, locomotives or uh, electrical trains. They produce electrical trains as well. So these companies have found a way of implementing these ideas, these niche, great scientific ideas into a product and they, they have produced many gas turbine engines which runs with these concepts. So you, you guys understand what a gas turbine engine is, right? Yeah, yeah. We've, um, so, some of it gets like um, covered in a bit of uh, our lessons, not directly. Yeah, to very simple, very simple example for gas turbine engine is an aeroplane engine. Yeah. Okay? The engine which are used in aeroplanes are called gas turbines because there is a turbine wheel which rotates and then there is a compressor wheel which rotates in the front. The compressor sucks the air into it and then compresses the air and increases the pressure by compressing the air. Okay, in car engine, there is a piston which moves up and down, which increases the pressure by compressing it. But in gas turbine, there is a rotary compressor which rotates and increases the pressure. Then you squat fuel into the um, increase in the high pressure gas, it burns and then it expands in the turbine, which produces the work. And the turbine wheel is connected to a generator, for example, if you're trying to produce electricity power, then the generator produces electricity, which is sent to the grid. So okay? what, that is what, one. What sort of proportion of our energy that we use sort of on a day-to-day -day basis is produced by this method? Is it like 1% or more like 0.0 something? 
Uh, well, if uh, if you say uh, we, are you referring to only UK or are we referring to the uh, whole, guess, whole, whole world? Yeah, I guess globally. If you look at the global uh, uh, energy requirement, I think 90% of that energy comes from these type of sources. Oh, wow. More than more than 90% of the energy comes from these type, types of source, sources. Okay. Uh, by either by running gas turbine or by running uh, reciprocating engines or by using some form of combustion. Okay. So I'm sure recently you may have seen many uh, uh, wind turbines coming up in the horizontals, right? The all over the UK, all around the world. If you count all of those energy produced from these wind turbines, and then the amount is only less than 2% of the, of the energy that we need in the world. So okay. it's a long, long, long way to go. Yeah, very far. Um, yeah, what did you say? Well, in 2019, I think it's, you wrote a paper on mild combustion. Yeah. And uh, you put about relevance to supersonic combustion. So you're talking about how yes. it's in aircrafts. Is that something you think is going to be seen more and more using this kind of combustion airplanes? It depends on the application. Okay, if it is for defense and uh, military applications, probably we will see more of that. It's already happening, but for civil aviation, it is not a it's not a good place to go for two reasons. One is it's very noisy. One very very noisy combustion. One. And the second thing is it emits quite a lot of pollutants. What I mean by pollutants is specifically oxides of nitrogen. So when you burn um, hydrocarbon fuel, you increase the temperature. When at high temperature, the nitrogen chemically reacts with oxygen to produce nitric oxides, which is called NOx, okay? Which you may have heard, yeah. So which is yeah. not a very good, uh, very good thing for human or any living uh, things on the planet. And also it's one of the bad greenhouse gases. It, it can trap uh, heat. Yeah. So, um, so one needs to be very careful about how we use this technology. You know, uh, we need to outweigh. We need to do a kind of a balance, um, balancing act. Are you expecting a more wide, wide scale use of this technology? Like over the next couple of decades, you're expecting it to become more wide scale in all fields or industries or. Definitely yes, for mild combustion, specifically for uh, power generation um, sector, for power generation, what I mean by power generation is to produce electricity from combustion sources. We, it's, this technology is going to be uh, implemented very, very broadly and widely, mainly for two reasons. One is it improves the system efficiency to higher than 60 or 70% and also less pollution coming, pollutants coming from these type of combustion. Yeah. And many of the process industries also uses it. For example, if you go to glass production industries, they use mild combustion technology to, to, to recover a lot of heat, which is going to be wasted anyway by, by letting them go into the atmosphere. So it is finding its uh, route in many, many practical applications as time goes by as people invent way to implement this idea. And uh, you talked also in your paper a lot about DNS studies, which is mm -hmm. a 
improving, how much we understand it. And would you mind talking mm. a little bit about that, explaining? Uh, yeah, uh, direct numerical simulation, what that means is, you know, if you look at any of these engines, I'm sure you, from your physics, you know, there is a conservation of momentum, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah. similarly, there is a conservation of mass. And similarly, there is a there is a conservation of energy. So in engineering, what we do is we apply these principles, conservation of mass, conservation of momentum, conservation of energy in any systems that you're trying to build. So if you, if you do these conservations, then you can write uh, differential equations. Yeah. Uh, that, that differential equations can be quite complex, complex and also quite difficult to solve. So instead of uh, breaking our head, what people do is they take the, these uh, complex equations into a supercomputer, very big, huge computer, and then ask the supercomputers to solve these equations by, by writing programs, by writing computer codes. So by doing that, what we are trying to achieve is like uh, running direct numerical simulation is like running uh, an experiment in the lab. Instead of running the experiment in the lab, you run the experiment on the computers. Okay. Oh, okay. So does that Sorry. make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You, you wrote another article um, about integrating machine learning uh, for mild combustion. Could you explain that a little bit, please? Machine learning is uh, catching up nowadays. People, a lot of people are trying to make use of machine learning for various applications. For, you yeah. know, but the idea itself, machine learning idea itself is not new. It's probably 50, 60 years old. Yeah. Okay. And one of the simple example I could say is the Hoover. Okay. Uh, in Hoover, Hoover adjusts its suction pressure by sensing whether you're hoovering it on a hard floor or on a, on a, on a, a soft floor, on a carpeted floor, right? That yeah. is an example, very simple example of machine learning. Okay, this these things have been that, that used to be called as a fuzzy logic in, in seventy in eighties and nineties, and it has got a new term now, which is called the machine learning. So when you have a complicated system, there are many parameters which controls the system performance. There could be thousands of parameters, and each of these parameters could be stochastic in nature. What that means is they are very random. These parameters could be very random, right? For example, if you if you open the tap. Uh, water tap, if the flow rate is very small, you know where the water is going to hit on the, on the basin. If you open a very big amount, okay, very large opening, then you don't know where the water is going to hit. There is a randomness in that. It can hit in one place at one time, it another place at another time, depending. It's, it's, it's very difficult to predict. That type of condition is called turbulent condition. Okay, So that type of problem, to solve that type of problem, you need stochastic nature, which is which you know that as a probability. Probably yeah. you may have learned that in your math, advanced math, probability theory. Yeah, right? yeah, we've done about that, yeah. Yeah, so there are advanced, we use advanced forms of those simple ideas that you learn in your uh, advanced math, uh, probability theories. There are, again, differential equations, uh, which controls these systems. And then to find a solution to these systems is not difficult. So that means you learn, you, you develop algorithms or programs that learns by doing these problems many, many times. That is what the machine learning is all about. 
Um, I also read uh, when I was doing research about uh, this this kind of combustion. I read a lot about um, how the FDS um, is on, in mild combustion is different to like you, you know like the normal combustion you have, um, and it's just because of like um, different reaction zones. Like what what are FDS and like why are they so important to the um, mild combustion? Uh, what was the term? I I I I didn't get that term. FDS. Yeah, FDFs. FTFs, okay. FTFs is nothing but the it's a, it's a probability density function. We call that as FTF because for very specific application, okay. So you guys have learned probability, right? Probability yeah. functions or probability thing, right? So because you, when you have a random function, when you have a random variable which behave, which you you do not know how to how it's going to behave, right? You need a probability theory, or you need a probability distribution. So similarly, if you look at a flame in a flow, the, you do not know where the flame is going to sit. At one at one point of time, it may be it may be sitting my in in my finger position. At another point of time, it may be going up. At another point of time, it may be going here. At another point, it may be going here. No, it may be it may be dangling in time and space. Mm -hmm. So which is very random. So you cannot to describe this kind of random phenomena. You need a probabilistic description. Okay. Uh, and that's why you need the FTF. FTF is nothing but filtered density function, which is a, you know, uh, another term for uh, the probability function that you're learning in your in your high school math. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So so do not underestimate what you're learning now. I think uh, you know you guys are learning the very basic principles that you can yeah. handle. But when you go into universities and colleges, all of those things, what you've learned now are built upon into a much more complex, uh, probably a little more complex way. So we could apply those tools to a real practical problem. Okay. So sort of coming back to mild combustion, would we use uh, the probability you just talked about to, I guess, estimate how, how big like an ignition flame would be so we can optimize the efficiency of an engine or something yeah that's right you are right that's exactly what we want to find uh, you know for example when we ignite the engine do we know when the ignition is going to be successful or it's going to be a failure yeah if you want if you want to find an answer to that question then we need a probability theory okay. yeah and even from the practical perspective you know uh, when you are up in the air in an aircraft you don't want to lose a flame yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So if if the flame goes out, then you should know if you press your if the pilot presses the ignition button, what is the probability that it will ignite the flame? You want yeah. to have you want to have certainly right hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want not to be able to ignite the flame. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Your questions. They're not really on this topic, but yeah, it's they're on about like um. I've got one going back to was it the super combustion you mentioned earlier, and you mentioned about NOx. Why can't like in cars we have catalytic converters that they're not one hundred percent efficient, but they remove most of the harmful byproducts? Why can't we just use that on mild combustion engines and things like that? The uh, see the uh, catalytic converter that's what you're referring to, right? Yeah. It is typically known as CATs. 
the catalytic converter works in a very specific condition. Okay, yeah. that's why that's why you have to run your petrol cars at stoichiometric condition all the time. That means the amount of the propositions between the amount of oxygen you have and the amount of these pollutants have to be in a very specific ratio. Okay. That's why uh, that's why we cannot use the catalytic converter when you use a small amount of fuel or known as fuel lean condition. Okay. Okay. So when 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 for example, the catalytic converters are not used in diesel cars because. Mm -hmm. In diesel engine, there is a range of stoichiometry. Do you know? Do you guys know what a stoichiometry means? Yeah, yeah. It's the proportion of fuel to air, right? So when that when you have a very wide range of stoichiometry, uh, wide range of fuel to air ratio in your burning mixture, these devices don't work. But in petrol car, you have a very big microprocessor or a computer which always controls the amount of fuel that you're injecting into the cylinder, depending on how hard you put your foot on the, on the accelerator pedal. Okay? So it maintains that ratio between the fuel to air ratio to be exactly at the, around the same value, around one. Uh, okay. You, uh, you have wrote another article when you're talking a lot about turbulence combustion and you're talking yeah. about how links to it to mild combustion. Would you mind uh, explaining that? See, turbulence, turbulence is uh, unavoidable in nature and also in our practical applications. What do you guys know about turbulence? Perhaps I could start from that question to make it simple for you guys to follow. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, not a great deal. <laughs> Just not a great deal. Okay, okay. Um, <clears throat> a very simple example is again. I can go back to this uh, uh, tap uh, problem, water water tap problem, right? When you open the tap little bit, you see very thin stream of water coming through. Very nice thin streams, right? When you open it a little bit bigger, what happens to the flow of the water? Harder to predict. Uh, it, it's harder to it's harder to predict and also it, it spreads everywhere. It, there is a kind of a uh, very random motion in that one, right? Yeah. Another example Another example is uh, instant sticks or agarbadi, how many of you know about, or a, or, a, or a cigarette smoke, very simple example. I'm sure all of you may have seen this cigarette smoke, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even, if you are, even if you don't smoke it, you can Google it. So if somebody is smoking a cigarette, you see the, the the, the smoke or the plume, which is coming from the cigarette, which is very nice and thin, very uniform in the beginning. Once it reaches some height, then it starts to move around, okay? Randomly moves around. And that's because of the instability in the flow. That's, there are disturbances coming from the air movement, disturbances coming from small movement of the cigarette, etc. And that creates the flow to, to break from the nice and smooth flow into a random flow. And that random flow is what really happens in any engines, in, in many of the engines, okay? And these, these random flow is known as a turbulent flow, which is unavoidable in, uh, in uh, engines. Uh, even when you burn in mild combustion or non-mild combustion, turbulence is always there. 
turbulence is still an unsolved problem in physics. Nobody understands the turbulent flow. If anybody claims that they know turbulent flow, don't believe them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is this, is, I watched some video a few days ago about um, how these sort of vortices are, that are created are, yeah, so there's like a model of sticks sort of, how do you call it, uh, like, I guess connected and when you swing them they sort of swing in a particular pattern which is so yeah, that's, no way that's very what? yeah that's that's right that's very random very very random and we can predict some aspects of it we can calculate some aspects of that flow but we do not know why it behaves under certain conditions yeah. are they called eddies they are called eddies or ed, yeah. uh, eddies eddies are vortices okay yeah. so Nina. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, we don't have much time left, but for the last few minutes, could you um, talk us through how you've got into the very like um, prestige position of a Cambridge professor of like mechanical engineering? Because some of us want to um, study that as well. So no, I think yeah, I think I think anybody can make make it happen. It just you need to put in the effort and work. <laughs> Yeah. So it's not uh, it's 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 not it's not a big deal. You just have to be patient and do do the necessary work and put the necessary effort, which is which is hard work. Which I would not yeah. say say you know it's a simple yeah. So I always you know when I if I wanted to say uh, my side, I think from uh, when I was your age in high school, I was interested in science and maths. Yeah. So I pursued my interest. Although uh, after my graduation, my family asked me to go for a job, and then I said, "I'm, I like to know more about these these engineering applications, these things." So I went and did a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so pursue pursue your passion. It's very very important. There will be people who will be you know advising you go this way or that way, but at the end of the day, if you pursue your passions with your full dedication, with your full heart. You are bound to be successful in what you do. So, okay. have you always, so have you always been teaching, or have you ever sort of worked? Uh, in that's a good question. I think after my PhD, I went, I did my PhD in the US. Yeah. And then from the US, I didn't like life in the US, so I moved to Australia to teach. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when I was in Australia, I was teaching in Sydney University for a couple of years. Then I kind of wanted to have a taste of the real world. So I took a job in industry, uh, working for a General Electrics. They produce gas turbines, even light bulbs. They produce uh, uh, light bulbs, from light bulbs to all the way to airplane engines. So it's a very wow. big company, American company. Yeah, so I worked, I worked in their R&D sector for a couple of years, then I got bored with that. <laughs> then then what i realized is i always like to be with young people yeah, yeah. so, <laughs> so I, I i came back to the university and then at that time i got the right opportunity to to come back to cambridge to come to cambridge because cambridge invited me to come and teach in cambridge so i came here and since then never looking back it's it's a it's a fantastic job <laughs> because yeah. i i I get I get enthusiastic and curious driven young minds all the time through the doors. 
So it's it's lovely to work with those guys all the time, with with guys and girls coming through the, you know, the 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 key thing in engineering and in, in uh, Cambridge is about the young minds, curiosity driven young minds. They ask all kinds of questions. Sometimes we don't know the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what that's what keeps us all alive in Cambridge. You know guys like you guys coming through the door, trying to get your degree, trying to understand the engineering principles, you know, the engineering thing. And these people graduate and then go and find a bigger uh, jobs, uh, whatever they want to do in life, right? Mm-hmm. Which, is a, which is kind of a two way win-win. Uh, you know, we are happy to teach these young, great minds, great, curious, yeah. curious minds. And they ask more questions, which ask us to find answers to those questions. It's a kind of a feedback loop. <laughs> yeah. yeah great. Well, anyone has anything else to say? Well, we can wrap it up now. I think that's all the time we have. Well, Professor, thank okay. you so much. Thank for your you. Time. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Time. Yeah. No problem. No problem. I think one advice, one piece of advice I would like to give it to you is, you know, keep up your passion, go for it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank, yeah. You. Thank, you. thank you. Thank you. See you someday. Oh. <laughs> yeah, come over, come over to Cambridge. I'll show you the lab. <laughs> okay. That's great. All right. Yeah. Good talking to you guys.